Well, last week in our sermon series, The Five Things We Cannot Change and the Happiness We Find by Embracing Them, Reverend Bill Carlson talked about how life is not always fair, but God is there. God helps us find new pathways. This week, we encounter a familiar story, the story that people often call the prodigal son story. Many people think the word prodigal means someone who is lost or someone who returns. But the word prodigal actually means spending money or resources recklessly or lavishly, as in the case of how the son spends his inheritance. As you hear and read the story, we encounter this given in life. People are not always loving, People are not always loyal. So as we read, ask yourself this question. What character in this story is not loving or is not loyal? We read from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus has told a series of stories about something that is lost and is found. And finally, Jesus gets to his third story here in Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, the younger son He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will send out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. As Jesus continues the story, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, the younger son, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But sometimes we end the story there. But the story continues. Meanwhile, the oldest son 
older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we know that there are sometimes is a great distance between where you are and we are. So, Lord, may you shorten that distance to open our ears, to hear your word, to open our minds so that we can understand and open up our hearts to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In John Hughes's movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, anybody ever seen that, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? We got some Ferris Bueller's? Okay, I see in the narthex some people have seen it. Well, in the story, the main character, Ferris, has a sister, Jeannie, who is absolutely repelled by her brother, Ferris, who seemingly gets away with everything. But Ferris, he sees things different. As he says in the movie, my sister got a car, I got a computer. How's that being born under a bad sign? But Ferris, he uses his ingenuity to pull off skipping school by faking an illness, changing his attendance record. He takes his friend's Ferrari, picks up his girlfriend by making up a bogus excuse, goes into the city, has a fancy dinner, spends time in an art museum, goes to a baseball game, and even sings twist and shout to the entire city of Chicago, getting everyone to sing that Beatles song. Ferris breaks all the rules and gets away with it, and his sister, Jeannie, has had it. Jeannie can't stand that everyone loves Ferris Bueller and how he can do whatever he wants with little to no consequences. Everyone adores Ferris. And in the movie, Jeannie, she fumes. Doesn't everyone know what he really does when no one is looking, how he cheats? his way out of everything? This is exactly where we find the elder brother at the climax of the prodigal son story. The elder sibling is fuming and can't believe that this brother 
can do what he wants, that this father has accepted this wayward, good-for-nothing younger brother who lavishly spent his father's money. The elder thinks, boy, my brother gets away with everything. Now, the father runs to my brother and embraces him, embraces his wrongdoing, and how he turned his back on us. Dad, you're giving him what? A party? I never even got a, a party for, for my small group of friends to the house to celebrate something. The elder brother is fuming in Luke 15. Where are the consequences? Where's the punishment? Where's the accountability? Where's the hell, fire, and brimstone? If you go back and reread the story, if you think about how the scripture begins, the story isn't really about the prodigal son. It's really about a story of a father who had two sons. That's how Jesus starts the story. The story is not fundamentally about the younger son, but how the father relates to both of his children. But let's take a beat on this for a moment. Let's think about what precipitates this family conflict. Have you ever, did you ever turn to your mom or dad and say to them, Mom, Dad, I know you have lots of money, property, stuff. Well, I know that we'll, when you die, us kids will get that. But I want my inheritance early. I want you to liquidate everything and give out your estate, divide it between me and my brother. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not what happens when someone is living. That's what happened when someone dies. No, mom and dad, I want everything now. And on top of that, guess what? I'm leaving. I'm leaving our house, I'm leaving our town, and I'm going someplace better. And I'm leaving you, my siblings, my community. I'm going far, far, far away from here. I've never heard anyone who's ever done that. And it's something that the hearers of Jesus in his day would have never even dreamed of. It's scandalous. It's sensational. It communicates from the younger son to the father, you're dead to me. And since you're dead to me, give me my inheritance early, and I'm leaving. How is the father to respond to this rebellion, this indifference? The father amazingly acquiesces. He divides everything he has, the money, the property, the estates between his two sons, the younger son, would have gotten a third. The older son gets two-thirds because the firstborn always gets a double portion according to tradition. Wow, that's something. So as the younger brother leaves town with a third of the family's fortune, the elder brother is there at home owning two-thirds. Now the father has nothing left. When we think about the younger son's actions, the dynamic of this situation is what psychologist David Rico describes as a given in life. 
that in life, some people will like us and some people dislike us. Some come through for us, some betray us. Some care tenderly about our feelings and some trample them underfoot. Accepting this variety as a given makes it less likely that we will let the reactions of others determine our personal work, worth. But Rico continues, he says this, people will do things that injure us. Later, we realized that it was how they pushed us through a gate in ourselves that we never knew was there. The hurt we feel is the sensation of being pushed. It is the sense of being pushed through the gate, a gate of envy, of pride, of tradition, of ego, of poor boundaries, that when we get pushed through this gate, what do we feel? We feel sadness. We feel hurt. We're afraid. You may not have your younger son acting like you're dead and asking for your inheritance early. But I can guarantee you that every person in this room, at some point in your life, someone has not been loving or loyal to you. And you've had to deal with it. Someone in your life has done something that broke your bond of trust and care. And in turn, you've been pushed through the gate and have been hurt. Think about how painful it was when the father gave up everything so that his younger son could go off and spend it so wastefully, prodigally, that the climax of the story, the younger son returns to the father with nothing. The painter Rembrandt, who imagined this scene, painted the, what's called the prodigal son returns with the younger son featured with a shaven head and shoes that were literally falling apart. So is this story really just about a wayward son coming home? Or is it a story of a father who pushed his elder son's gate through the power of love and grace and forgiveness? Author and pastor Timothy Keller pushes us to the gate of assumption when he wrote on the prodigal son's story this challenging truth. He wrote, the targets of the story are not wayward sinners, but religious people who do everything the Bible requires. Jesus is pleading not so much with immoral outsiders as with moral insiders. He wants to show them that their blindness, narrow, narrowness, and self-righteousness, and how these things are destroying both their souls and the lives of those around them. This insight flips the whole script on the story about a father who had two sons. The younger, wayward self-explorer versus the dutiful elder son who conforms to the way in which the expectations are set for him, but will not accept his father's act of forgiveness. 
So I'd like to ask you a question today. How many of you in your family of origin are an older brother or sister? You just raise your hand. It's okay, I'm not going to ask you to an altar call or serve on a committee. You know, you're, you're out there, right? And how many of you in your family of origin are a younger brother or sister? That's me. Okay, the single children, the Harry Potters, the Han Solo, the Peter Parkers among us. Well, you're just a different sermon, so we'll talk about you later. (laughs) But wherever you are in birth order, when someone is not always loving and loyal, I want you to remember this acronym. FACE. F-A-C-E. FACE. F-A-C-E. And I want to write it here on the board that when we are faced like the father... And the elder son, when someone is not always loving or loyal, people think about what it means to save face. When someone is not loving and loyal, I want you to think about giving up face. What do I mean by that? Well, the father gave up his fear. I'm afraid that if I let my younger son go, I'm not going to survive. But when we give up fear, we no longer continue to become a source of suffering for ourselves in the face of when someone is not loving or loyal. F is fear. A is attachment. I have to give up attachment. When someone is not loving or loyal to me, I have to give up the attachment of a very specific version of myself and what I'm owed in a relationship. I'm attached to a certain way and order of being, and when in the face of when someone is not loving or loyal, we have to give up to the attachment of what we think they should do. The third thing, C, Instead of saving face, we have to give up control. I need to control others' reactions of me. When people are not loving and loyal, when we're able to give up control, we're able to understand that we can't always get people to do what we want them to do. F-A-C-E Entitlement. That in the face of when people are not always loving or loyal, we have to give up entitlement. I believe I'm entitled to love. I believe I'm entitled to loyalty from everyone. See, if we're able to give up this face, this fear of what's going to happen, the attachment that we have to a certain version of ourselves, to give up the control that we're afraid that people are acting in a way that we don't want them to act. When we're able to give up the entitlement that we are to be loved at all times by everyone and everyone has to like me. And when people are not always loving and loyal, we can face our fear, we can face our attachment, we can face our need to control, we can face our entitlement. 
when we see our face in the mirror, we are able to abandon this fear, this attachment to a version of myself, this control, this entitlement. If we can do that in the face of when people are not loving or loyal to us, we can find the type of happiness, the abundance of life that Jesus talked about. The elder son, he struggles with faith. The elder son, he can't give up his fear. He's afraid that he is not loved by the father, but he is. The father reminds him in the story, everything the father has is now his. He has the ability to kill the fatted calf. He has the ability to run the house. But the elder son, he's stuck onto the attachment. He feels that he is owed a party for his loyalty. But he received two-thirds of the inheritance. The elder son, he, he can't give up his control of the father's forgiveness. He can't believe that the father has forgiven the younger son. He feels like the younger son doesn't deserve it. In entitlement, the elder son, he wants loyalty to his newfound power of his estate. He can't understand why the father gave the son grace. When we're faced with a situation where someone is not always loving or loyal, we have to remember F-A-C-E. We have to give up our fear, our attachment, our control, our entitlement, that we think everyone should like us and love us. We can find peace in the face of disloyalty and unloving actions. We cannot control how people react. We can only control how we react. And John Hughes' movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Remember Ferris and his older sister, Jeannie? Well, at the end of the movie, she's at a police station, and she's faced with the ugly truth of her hang-up, of her conflict with her younger brother. And as she's at the police station, a teenager who's there asks her why she's there, and she explains her story that she tried to do the right thing and called the police, but now the police thinks that she made a phony phone call to the police department. And she tells the teenager all her story and her frustration of her relationship with her brother and how she can't stand the, him. And the guy at the police station responds, you know what your problem is? And Jeannie listens intently to what the stranger is going to say. He says, it's you. You're the problem. And Jeannie is incredulous. She can't believe that a stranger would be so bold to say something, but yet so honest. And he continues, you ought to spend more time dealing with yourself and a little less time worrying about your brother. This is exactly where the elder brother in Luke 15 is stuck. He is standing as the eldest. He has everything that the father has. He can't get his party. He can't throw it for himself. He's so worried about what his father is doing and what he's done. But he doesn't want the relationship. 
the more that you don't have to worry about saving face, you'll find the happiness by giving up face. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow once wrote, it is a mystery of the unknown that fascinates us. We are children still wayward and wistful. With one hand, we cling to the familiar things we call our own, and with the other, resolute of will. We grope in the dark for what the day will bring. I think there's times in all of our lives where we are groping in the dark place of our soul and our minds and our hearts because we're spinning our wheels with what we do when people are not always loving and not always loyal. The more that we let go of fear, of attachment, of control, of entitlement, the more we become like the father in the story who is able to dispense love and grace and redemption. And when we do that, the more peace you and I can find. So who are you in this story? The father? The elder? The younger? Whoever you are in the story, if you want to find happiness in the face of disloyalty and unloving behavior, you have to give up face. Fear, attachment, control, entitlement. Let us pray. Oh God, we confess it is so challenging. It is a struggle. Because God, for some of us, we see and experience what it's like that when people are disloyal and unloving, we see it every day. In our homes, on the street, at work, at school, with our friends, with our families, that God, we wonder what we can do. But help us see how the Father responds to the face of disloyalty and unloving actions that the Father relinquishes his need to control, the need to be entitled, that God, when we begin to let go and focus on the things that are in our power versus the things that are not in our power, we can embrace the type of forgiveness and grace that the Father bestows upon his younger son. And God, sometimes we're the elder brother. We've done everything right, and we think it's not fair when someone is forgiven, someone is redeemed. But God, help us remember that you redeemed the unredeemable, us wayward, lost sons and daughters, that we have come back and returned to you, and you have forgiven us, and you've saved us. Help us carry that grace and forgiveness as we go forward this week. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.